You're listening to episode 133 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. I love discussions about money. Maybe that's because many of us were raised not to talk about money, thus leaving us with so many questions about our finances. And not only that, it can lead to us having a bad relationship with money. And speaking of relationships and money, this week's guest has made it her mission to teach all couples how to stand in their power by including money in their relationship. Lindsay Bryan Podvin is a biracial financial therapist, speaker, and author. She's passionate about helping high-earning couples recommit to their relationship using shame-free money coaching. In this episode, we talk about the link between mental health and money, financial anxiety, and why talking about money is hard, plus so much more. This episode is brought to you by Spiritually Seeking. When you head over to spiritually-seeking.com and use the code PODCAST at checkout, you'll score 20% off services such as basic numerology reports, extended numerology reports, card readings, twin flame card readings, life guidance, and more. There's a bunch of new goodies on this site. The card readings have been a popping thing. So if you're seeking guidance in life right now in any shape or form, head over to spiritually-seeking.com and remember to use the code PODCAST at checkout to save 20%. If something resonates with you today while you're listening, I encourage you to take a screenshot and share it with me on social media. Tag me in it. I am everywhere at MindBizLife. Also, share this episode with a friend or family member. You never know who may need to hear this information. All right, are you ready to meet Lindsay? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Lindsay Bryan Podvin, and Lindsay is a biracial financial therapist, speaker, and author. Hi Lindsay, welcome to the show. I'm so pumped that you could join me today. Me too, Lauren, and I'm happy to be here. You know, I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I want to learn all about you and your journey, but first things first, because I'm really curious to know, because I haven't heard this before, what is financial therapy? Financial therapy is exactly what it sounds like. It is therapy, but using a lens of what's going on with your money. What's your relationship with money like? What are the thoughts, feelings, and emotions of money? And it really takes a psychological and cultural lens to looking at our relationship with money. We know that money is mostly emotional and psychological, but so much of personal finance is all about numbers, 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 numbers and doesn't take into consideration everybody's thoughts and feelings about money. So financial therapy helps people kind of bridge that gap so they can have a healthier, more functional relationship with their personal finances. Ooh, that's something that we all need. How did you get started in this? What led you here? What led me here was two things. One, I'm a clinically trained social worker and I had been practicing in the field of depression and anxiety. That was my specialty. And then two, I'd always had an interest in personal finances. Well, maybe not always, but certainly from my early 20s on. So I'd always kind of had that in my head about talking to my clients about money. And so they seemed to kind of run on parallel tracks, right? So you could talk to a therapist about depression and anxiety, and you could talk to a financial planner or a CPA or an accountant about your money. But to me, they didn't, 
I didn't like that they ran parallel to each other. I felt like they needed to really intersect to have the most value. So when I started seeing clients come in, rightfully stressed or anxious or on edge about their money, and I'm not just talking about a lack of money, it's any sort of thing about their money, I felt like I had a duty to really engage with my clients in a more holistic way besides just telling them to call an 800 number to have somebody help them with their budget. That just felt so cold and impersonal and just didn't feel good in the therapeutic space that we created together. So I sought out additional training in the psychology of money. And so I found um, a couple of places where I ended up getting additional training. One was the Center for Financial Social Work and the other is the Financial Therapy Association. And both of those kind of blend financial literacy with psychology and the cultural view of money. And that is how I came to become a financial therapist. Okay. That is so cool because I feel like growing up, a general rule was to never talk about religion, politics, or money at the dinner table, right? (laughs) You just like, don't bring it up. So you just don't ask people about their finances and you don't talk about your finances. And that is that sometimes a heavy burden to carry on your shoulders. So if you're not even asking your parents how much they make as a kid, I can only imagine the mindset that just kind of sticks within you for, you know, as an adult. So is the lack of communication kind of the reason that money is so hard to talk about? Oh, you hit the nail on the head. So many of us are given the message that money is impolite or it's taboo or it's rude to talk about. But when we have grown up with this belief that money is off limits, then all of a sudden when we hit 18 or 21, depending on your situation, and you are on your own as a quote unquote adult with your money, it's so confusing because we simply don't have a roadmap to engage with our finances. And then it leads what I see anyway, to a lot of guilt and shame of like, how come I don't know about this? Why am I so bad with money? Why do I feel so lost? And my job is to help normalize that it makes sense that you're confused about money because in most families, it's not okay to talk about money. And in you know, traditional curriculum, only 13 states in the U.S. require any sort of financial literacy education, and none of that is mandated or regulated in any way. So that could look different from state to state. So most of us don't get anything from our families or from our schools, and then we're kind of left floundering, and we're supposed to just know how to do it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I just even remember getting my first credit card and not even understanding percentage rates, you know, like what my interest was going to be. And I'm like, so I can't, yep. It's, yep. and then it, you get into this spot sometimes where you're like, I don't know what to do. And it makes you very anxious because you want to make the right choice, but you're not educated enough to make the choice. So how do you kind of like get rid of these limiting beliefs about money? I think one thing that's really important to keep in mind is that we want to kind of take a thoughts on our journey. And I know that sounds really woo-woo, but hang in with me. (laughs) What a lot of us try to do when we are feeling uncomfortable or feeling anxious, we're feeling something that we don't want to feel is we want to get rid of it, right? We go, oh, I have this thought of I'm bad with money. I want to just slash and burn it. And I want to be, have a new thought that is I'm great with money. 
but our, our brains don't work that way. To make a leap from I'm terrible with money to I'm great with money is really hard for our brains. And that's why people think that things like affirmations or mantras are cheesy or stupid or don't work. So what we want to do is kind of build a bridge for the neuro pathways in our brain so that we can get from I'm bad with money to I'm good with money in a way that our brain will get on board with. And that means first neutralizing the thought. So instead of I'm bad with money, let's really examine what is a more neutral thought? What is a more helpful thought? And it may be something like I'm uncomfortable with understanding how credit scores work and I'm pretty good at managing my money day to day. So we want to kind of balance it out with just some facts and then kind of work our way to I'm good with money. So kind of building in those those stepping stones for our brain to get on board so so we can really take that journey there so that way those positive thoughts are going to be stickier so to speak in our brain and really work for us. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm I'm great at budgeting um- I'm bad at uh, long-term planning. Yeah. So, right. right. So that makes a lot of sense because then you can kind of also focus on where your energy needs to go. Like I don't need more energy and budgeting. I need more energy in my long-term planning. Yeah. And using that energy from where you're good and having it kind of pour over into the areas that you are struggling in. Mm. So financial anxiety, that's a real thing then. Oh yeah. Huge. And it's, again, it's not just for people who are experiencing a lack of money or a lack of income, just like anxiety, anybody can experience it. So we know with anxiety, you don't just get it because something is wrong. A lot of people experience anxiety, even if from the outside in, you look at this person and they have a good job and a healthy relationship and they're in a stable environment. We know that anxiety doesn't discriminate and it's the same with financial anxiety. And it is just feeling worried on edge or anxious about money. And that could be specific things like worrying about, to your point, like a budget or about retirement, or it could just be this overwhelming sense of I'm not good at it. It's not my thing. I'm doomed to be bad with money forever. And it kind of gets in the way of having a healthy relationship with money. Mm, And let's just go ahead because you already hit on the term of relationships. So let's talk money and relationships because money can cause a lot of stress in relationships. So how can couples kind of come together more and include money in their relationship? I think it's helpful for couples to know that talking about money helps to strengthen your relationship. Research shows that couples who talk about money are happier than those who don't. And I think the reason for that is that so many couples get caught up in this black and white of if we talk about money, it'll be awkward or frustrating or we're going to fight. So we just avoid it altogether. And then that creates a space where you can't talk about money. And to me, I think it's helpful for couples to look at money through what can money afford us as a unit? What can money empower us to do? And when we think about it that way, we think about the strengths of money and the strengths of having a healthy relationship with money. It can strengthen your relationship. It helps you to get on board about your different values and your goals and helps to afford you to create that plan so you can have the life that you want to have. And sometimes getting on that same page, is it sometimes like one person's a spender and one person's a saver? Is that always like typically the dynamic or are they just like, you know, really trying to come together in in all kinds of different ways? 
I think the spender saver is a very common one because it's what people can point to. But I think there are so many nuances to the way that money shows up in relationships. For a lot of couples, money can mean power and it creates this power dynamic of the person who is more interested in engaging with money ends up having the power in the relationship. They're the ones who kind of dictate where you can spend, where you can save, how you're going to invest. And it leads the or it leaves the couple feeling like one person is the parent and one person is the child. And it creates resentment on both ends, whether you're the person who's more interested in money and you feel resentful that your partner isn't contributing to your financial plan, or whether you're the person who kind of feels left out and feels childish engaging with money, that's a more common dynamic that I see than a spender saver. So I think it's really important for both people to get on board about what are their strengths in relationship to money and how can they together kind of build a a unit-based relationship with money. Like what do they want to do as a couple with money? And that helps shift that lens from like good or bad or powerful and unpowerful or spender and saver into us as a unit. What do we want to do? Mm, That's powerful because it's not like you get in a relationship or like you start dating someone and the first thing you start talking about is finances. Like, are we on the same page here? You know, it's like getting to know the person and if you want to, you know, have a life with them. And then sometimes the whole financial part just kind of gets swept under the rug. It's not brought into focus. So how do you think, you know, like going into, let's say a newer relationship, how do you really set the the tone to make sure that you're aligning yourself with a partner who has the same financial values as you? Yeah. I think one thing that's really helpful to think about is that, you know, in, in Western culture, we have this grand idea that romance will solve all problems, that love will cure all. And it's a very beautiful ideal, except that we know that in relationships, (laughs) it's more than just an attraction or a love for your partner. There have to be shared goals and values that help to deepen and strengthen that partnership. So when it comes to money, especially in, in Western cultures, when we're talking about couples and money, I think it's helpful to think about, you know, dreaming together with your partner and then kind of folding or sprinkling the money stuff on top of that. So when you're first starting to date someone and things are starting to get serious, you can ask about where do you want to be in five years? Do you want to own a condo? Do you want to be renting so we can kind of trapeze around the country? Do you envision having all your student loans paid off or does that not bother you? So thinking about some of those bigger goals and then asking them, well, how do you think you want to do that? Right. And that starts to elicit the way that they envision their relationship with money. Right. We hear a lot of things about like, oh, I don't want to have any debt. And that might be a pathway towards a couple's relationship with money. We might hear a couple who's more interested in taking risks and they want to do things like purchase duplexes or townhomes and rent them out. So thinking about like, what are your goals? Where do you see yourself? And how does money fit into that picture? Because there are no goals, unfortunately, in our life that money doesn't touch. Even if it's like, oh, I want to have three kids. Guess what? You better have a financial plan for that. Even though, again, it doesn't feel very romantic to talk about how are we going to afford the diapers and college for our kid. That has to be a part of the plan in order to have a healthy relationship. 
Mm, and then of course, like every relationship, you take the other person out and you focus on yourself first. So of course yep. you have to, I guess, like have all of that figured out before you even expect your partner to have it figured out for themselves. So are those kind of the, the same first steps to getting, you know, aligned with your own self and what you want to, to figure those things out for yourself? I think it depends on what stage of a relationship you're in. If you're in the very early stages, I do think it makes sense to figure out your own money stuff first. But if you have been together for 5, 10, 15 plus years, I think then it's a better choice to look at your financial plans as a unit. Um, so that way you're not splitting up your goals. Oh, I want a townhome and I want to rent forever. Well, how are we going to do that if we're going to stay married or stay partnered? Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And then do you find also too, that people who are in very different spaces financially, like, you know, a partner that they also just had very different upbringings and childhood? Yeah, definitely. I think that so many of us are shaped by our early experiences. We know our brains are growing the most and working the hardest between the ages of zero and seven, zero and eight. So we have to go back and examine what was going on, what messages were we soaking up as kids about money. And each partner is going to have a different story. One of them may say, oh my gosh, I, I heard my parents fighting about money all the time. I never want to talk about money. You might have another partner who grew up in a household that was a little bit more open and they had um, chores with associated allowances. So they had some more hands-on experiences with money. So for sure, those are going to shape how a person wants to engage with money individually and as a, in a couple. Mm, how do you start to identify your own money myths that you've created for yourself? Like I know for like one of mine was like, I have to marry someone who's like wealthy for me to have a wealthy lifestyle because like mm. for so long, I just remember my dad saying like, make sure you marry, you know, a rich guy. I'm <laughs> like, wow. doesn't say it anymore. And of course right. it was like in a very passive way, you know, right. like as a kid. And I think like that in itself was that feeding into that fairy tale, right? Like yes. little princess growing up, marrying the prince, like he takes care of you, but that's not reality. So how right. do you start to just like really focus on your own beliefs and myths that you've made up or, you know, have kind of been created throughout your life? First of all, I just want to say thank you for giving me that little window. I think those are the exact things that I'm talking about when we talk about money stories. Mm -hmm. We might not have this very vivid memory, but there was a theme or a tone that was common in our childhoods. And the theme that you just discussed is exactly that, like this idea of a fairy tale and somebody else coming in and swooping you up and taking care of you financially. So, um, when it comes to identifying our own myths, I think it's important to think about our interactions with money and noticing what thoughts come up with them. Because for a lot of people, they're like, I don't have a money story. I'm just bad at it. And it's like, no, you do have a money story. Let's let's try to suss it out. <laughs> yeah. So thinking about times when you engage with money and what thoughts or feelings come up. So thinking about when you get paid, thinking about when you negotiate for a raise, thinking about when you apply for a credit card or a mortgage. Those are all times when some thoughts or feelings are going to come up and that helps you kind of start to dig into your money story. And then once you have an idea of like a theme, then you can start kind of dismantling it and starting to adopt a, a neutral, then a positive relationship with money. 
Mm, I love that. I know when I started to kind of do this inner work for myself a couple of years ago, one of the other things that I identified that kind of piggybacked off of that myth that I had created was even that something as simple as like say credit card bills. It was like just expecting that one day they're all just going to disappear, yep. <laughs> right? Like, yep. so you pay the minimum with this like fantasy in your mind that one day, like five grand is just going to fall in your lap and pay that off and poof, it's going to be gone. Like I didn't even realize this, like the depth of the, the mindset that I had in that moment of time of just like, no, I have to be responsible for this. Like no one's going to save me but myself type of thing. Yeah. And what you are describing is something that research shows a lot of women fall into, which is this idea of, of ble- being like blissfully ignorant of like, I don't know what's happening with my money, but I'm positive it'll all just sort itself out, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> oh gosh. Like why, why do we have that? And why, and that's interesting that it's more women who yeah. have that. Do you think that all kind of comes back to this like fairy tale, you know, type of scenario that everything just works out in the end, like pretty little package bow. Yeah, I think for sure that's a part of it. And I also think that women are are kind of socialized to be boxed out of finances, right? If we envision what's going on on Wall Street, most of us don't picture a sea full of women in pencil skirts. We picture a sea full of men, right? Mm. So we have been boxed out of finances. We know that women up until like the 60s couldn't even apply for their own credit cards without their husband's approval and they needed their husband's signature. So these are systemic and they're also cultural reasons why we have been separated from money. And of course that soaks into our psyche. Yes. Oh, I like, I sometimes overlook that because, you know, for us, that wasn't even part of our norm. So like, it feels so long ago, but like for our parents and grandparents, like that was their norm and they, and they fought hard to kind of break that. So I guess like for us in a sense, it's almost like breaking these generational curses for the first time in in, in a sense, like you're the first one who's doing it. So yeah, it's not going to make sense. It's, it's going to be hard and tricky, but you have the power to do so. Oh, yes, exactly. Couldn't agree more. Oh, I love it. Oh my goodness, Lindsay. This is just like blowing my mind because there I didn't realize that there was such a link between mental health and money. So yes. you, wow, like the work that you're doing is just so amazing and you've dropped so many good wisdom nuggets today. I know our audience is just going to want more of you in their lives. So where can they go to connect with you further? So they can find me. My company is called Mind Money Balance, and they can find me everywhere pretty much under that handle. I'm the most active on Instagram at Mind Money Balance, and of course, my website, Mind Money Balance. And I always love to offer um, a little bonus for podcast listeners. So I also wrote a book called The Financial Anxiety Solution, where you can buy on Amazon, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, Target, wherever you want to buy it online right now, given the climate that we are in. But if you purchase that book and send me proof of purchase, because you heard me on another podcast, I'll send you a free bonus values-based video training that will help you sort out your relationship to money and what's important to you. And you can always find that at mindmoneybalance.com slash podcast. Dang, that's such a goodie. Oh my goodness. I love when when guests share some some goodness with you. Lindsay, you have brought so much great energy and insight to today's show. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I'm so, so happy to be here. Thank you. 
Financial anxiety was a new concept to me, and and I thought Lindsay broke all of this information down so beautifully. I know you're going to want to connect with her further. I have linked her website and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. Don't forget to join me on Friday for a new episode of Fuel Your Life Friday, but until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.